Minister, hello and welcome to this week's The New PL Principles and Leadership in Business podcast. I'm Paul, host of The New PL, and I really appreciate you taking the time to tune in and listen today. Last week, I was facilitating at the World AI Cannes Festival in Cannes in France, and it was an incredible three days and a real fascinating insight into where we are currently with AI and where AI is going to take us in the future, in the next generation, both in business and in our personal lives as well. So it's apt that this week's guest is someone who works at the intersection of technology, AI, data, and the future of work, Dan Sodergren. He's a futurist, serial entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author. Dan is a hugely respected tech futurist, and his views are regularly sought by the BBC and countless other television and radio shows and stations, where he discusses how AI and technology will change the world for the better as part of the fifth industrial revolution. So Dan, a very warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, well, thanks very much for having me. Awesome to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. We could start with just uh, you giving our audience a bit of introduction to who you are, what you do and who you do it for. Ah, it's, uh, it's a great question and one I love, of course, because I'm a massive egotist. And so uh, <laughs> what I do is a job. <laughs> I talk about myself mainly for at least the first five minutes. I won't take that long of your time knowing it's a short thing. But uh, yeah, I talk about the future of work, technology, artificial intelligence, have done for over a couple of decades. I tend to do it now for, for large companies, multinationals, those kind of things. Normally training the C-suite around digital transformation and that kind of thinking. But my actual past was back in the day, uh, you know, bit of a hippie, then a bit of a kind of techno hippie, had several startups that, are, you know, as, my, as, as people call me serial entrepreneur, but my mum will call me a serial failure. Uh, she's most probably more 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 correct. Uh, haven't got uh, well, one of them got me to a beach in Mexico, but none of them made me a millionaire. And then the uh, the BBC and other folk uh, they call me tech futurist. And again, this is because I uh, rather either brilliantly or rather stupidly uh, and intellectually drawn to stuff which other people aren't doing yet. Yes. And then they call me a futurist. As I joked this morning, I'd rather be called you know billionaire philanthropist Dan Sodergren rather than tech futurist <laughs> Dan Sodergren. To be fair, so yeah, I had had things like an augmented reality company 15 years ago, and I was doing stuff with uh, with artificial intelligence and Demis and other folk before really those terms kind of became a fashionable thing. Yeah, brilliant. I was um, just thinking as you were talking about your serial entrepreneurship that years ago when I had a business that failed, someone a good friend of mine gave me a little postcard and it said success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm and i thought that was a <laughs> very exactly true it. for most entrepreneurs isn't it for a long period absolutely of yeah. yeah i mean i think if like this is how geeky i am because i used to I used to help people start their own businesses i think that comes from winston churchill that's it the honest right. truth. Yeah. i think it does i think it might do uh, might yeah. be just a slight tweak in that yeah so i you know i've probably helped over a thousand people be mad enough to start their own businesses and do stuff so i wrote a few books about that and did that over a while but uh, the sweet spot seems to be now much more about this whole future of work piece because yes. um, i was talking about digital transformation way before covid happened and then covid obviously came on accelerated the whole thing and now of course i look like i was uh, very clever uh, but then of course you know if you can't tell the future as a tech futurist you know you're in the wrong you're in the Absolutely. wrong job you're in the wrong job and we're, we're here in part today to to discuss your new book, looking at the fifth industrial revolution. And I'm sure there's many of us, me included, and many listeners who are probably still trying to come to terms with the fourth industrial revolution and what that looks like for us in our businesses. So what, what defines the fifth industrial revolution? 
So it's a brilliant point that you make. I think education especially is still in the fourth, uh, if not even in the third. Don't get me started on education. Uh, but of course, you know, it's just how do we look at things? And the reason why I think we're in this thing called what I call the fifth industrial revolution, not myself alone, but lots of us now, uh, but I've been saying it for a while, is it's to do with this whole thing about cognitive. Uh, it's all to do with about intelligence, right? right. Um, I mean, for the last couple of years, obviously, artificial intelligence has been one of the big kickers into this moment but it was always on the horizon you've got to remember artificial intelligence is not new and you could yes. argue that you should just, just call it computer intelligence or in fact just call it computer power it's what it is it's just multiply computer power that's why it's gpus rather than cpus without getting too geeky right but you know and if you know the, the history of it gaming showed us years ago this is where it was all going to go right so common sense as well logical progression and some other silly things would mean that the fourth industrial revolution, which was around cyber connectivity, you know, things being quite cool and connective and mobile being good and augmented reality and all that stuff. That's great. But actually, it's more about intelligence. It's the fifth industrial revolution that we're now in. And the reason why most people don't think about it is because they don't realize how powerful the computer intelligence now is. They don't realize that actually, I mean, I think there's the, there's the four pillars that I talk about in the in my book, The Fifth Industrial Revolution, but the key one for me isn't actually artificial intelligence. So there's artificial intelligence, which is quite obvious, and there's emotional intelligence, there's independent intelligence, and then there's organisation intelligence. And it's oddly the emotional intelligence that's going to be more important in this Fifth Industrial Revolution. It's about intelligence, you know, intel and then agency. How can you use data as well as a load of other things to really propel not just your business but yourself forward this is going to be a radically new world and we're going to see it play out in the next couple of years way quicker than people believe that's why they just don't get rid of the fifth industrial revolution it's a bit like i don't know analogy about waves i suppose you know you don't see necessarily always see the big wave coming but you know when it's hit Yes. And a lot of people are in that bit where they're just like, oh, this is quite fun. It's like, oh, you better get on the surfboard because this is, you're gonna, you need to be traveling with this one because this one's going to be big. And it has the multiplier effect of the fourth industrial revolution. So the fourth gave us all that type of computer stuff and everything else. Yes. But it's now that everybody can utilize it. You know, this is the, it's the oddest thing about this revolution is it might not be driven like the other ones were. Right. It might be a democratization of the ability to produce, which is why I get so excited about it, because I'm just a massive hippie. So I just think it would be awesome if we could do something a bit cooler with the planet. Uh, but that's just that's just me and my little rant. So you've talked about artificial intelligence and emotional intelligence there. And from what I've read and understand and listened to LLMs, large language models, you still have a a long way to go in terms of certainly their learning, but also their understanding and, and absolutely their reasoning and their planning. And, you know, that's only when we face the logical world. So we're a long way from machines understanding the real world and working in the real world in that regard. But there are two worlds. There's the logical world. So at some point, artificial intelligence might get to a point that says, I know that it's going to take you 18 minutes to get from point A to point B for argument's sake. But there's the illogical world and the illogical world says that it might take me 18 minutes, but along that way, I'm going to stop and look at the sea because that's an emotional connection I have. And then I'm going to have to run the last 10 minutes to get to that conference or that point B because I've made an illogical or an emotional decision. 
do you ever feel that artificial intelligence will get to that second point to understanding, learning, and reasoning within within the the illogical and the emotional world, not just the logical and the rational world? It's uh, it's a brilliant question and um, brings in elements which I don't normally get to talk about. So thank you, uh, Paul, because uh, this is now like a, it's a philosophical discussion, really. Yes. Yeah? So so the the irony I think for human existence is we overplay our illogical tendencies. Right. We honestly believe that without the data, you couldn't predict what I was going to do. However, right now, I can predict, they can predict, the machines can predict, analytical marketing can predict whether you're going to be pregnant before you know you're pregnant. And that's that was three years ago. Okay. Now, this is, it gets a little bit, it gets into kind of, uh, I don't watch Black Mirror, but everyone else says, oh, it's a Black Mirror episode. I've no idea what it means, but it's a cultural reference point, right? The amount of data that people now have, predictive analytics, should have known that because of how the sun was looking or how warm it was and what clothes you were wearing, you were always going to stop and look at the sea because that's the kind of person that you are. But you might say, but I'm a human and I have free will and there's no way it could work it out. But it would do by probability. Right? This is actually what large language models do most of the time. They just go, if this was that, Therefore, this most probably could be that. And it's just the huge amount of data that they have in them. This is why it's actually about just, just processing power. I don't know if you saw, heartbreaking for me, um, because I was about to buy their shares and I actually had it on my list. This is an illogical moment I didn't do. I didn't buy shares in Arm. I don't know if you noticed, but yesterday, Arm it's, shares just went insane. Yes, I do, yeah. because, but that's a logical thing, right? Because we all know it's an arms race for AI chips. And I didn't buy NVIDIA before. And I knew that Arm was going to go insane should have bought them, right? The AI machine would have definitely said, because it's just logical, right? But it was illogical for me not to do it. I didn't do it because I was being lazy and couldn't be bothered to find my passport to do the eToro stuff in time. More for me. If the machine had reminded me enough and said, hey, Dan, you've talked about these shares with other people a bit. Shouldn't you have, weren't you meant to have done that? And I'd be like, oh, thanks for the nudge. Yeah, I'll do that. Could have just, could have made me a load of money. It's not about the money side, right? So, <laughs> so your point, which is a great one, which is, uh, how much can AI dip into the emotional side of things? I actually think that the emotional side of things is more quantifiable than people believe. Right. I don't think, not necessarily the spiritual side of things, but I'm really talking about business and productivity and these other things and leadership and all these things. And most of these can be answered with data. It's just the number of data points you have. And actually, could you, I'll give you a great example, so AI can now work out extreme weather events much better than it ever could before. Right. And could 100 human beings in the room do the same? The answer is no. There's no way that they could do it, right? Now, does that mean that AI has replaced people's jobs? Not really. Does it mean that AI, you know, the weather's quite, uh, you could almost you know, like emotions. You can say emotions come like the weather sometimes. People believe that they come out of nowhere. But the reality is, is they don't, you know, they don't. They, clouds aren't just formed for the sake of it. Yep. It's not rains just for the sake of it. Everything has a logic to it. Now, <laughs> a much deeper point would be, should we um, allow the world to be redefined in purely a mechanical, logical way? And I'd say no. But for business, I think yes, because... We can do so much more with our lives than just run businesses, if that makes sense. Like if you can cut my job down to a day a week, 
I'm never going to moan. I'm going to go see my friends. <laughs> you know, you know. But I know other people. When you give them the AI machine, you give them all this clever stuff with large language models and everything else, and they go, "Brilliant! I can become 400 times, you know, or 400 more productive." And then they they don't stop and go, "Awesome! I'll take Tuesday off." <laughs> they just fill it in with other stuff. But it's impossible, isn't it? As far as I can see, to to draw that artificial line between let's advance AI that's beneficial for business, but let's not advance the AI in certain areas that, you know, will overtake our personal lives because they are often, if you think about Hugging Face, the the community platform for AI, it has upward of 500,000 AI models that exist in their community at the moment that have been mm -hmm. built on and built on and growing at a at an exp exponential rate. It's very, fairly difficult from a regulatory perspective. And even if, you know, we have effective regulation and there's a big question around whether any regulation is ever going to be up to date or effective enough, but we have malicious players and, and other players that will utilize AI in negative ways. Regardless, you cited one yesterday on LinkedIn around that voice activated fraud. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to see a world where we can embrace all of the good that is AI for business, but somehow stop or delineate all of the perhaps negative that might be AI for personal. I mean, how do we, how do we do that? Well, I'll, you know, a great example I always like to use is electricity. So electricity is tremendously beneficial. And we, and we, you could argue it's not. I have, I have uh, friends of mine who are very funky, and they say, no, electricity is bad. It's where we all started going wrong. And if you look back in history, you can see all the doomsayers about electricity saying it will kill everyone. And there's literally they'll wrap wires around you. And this is when people become robots, right? But we worked out a way to make electricity change our lives fundamentally for the better. But electricity can kill you. Mm. It can set fire stuff. It can blow things up. It can set you know, uh, fires. It's probably electricity is probably the, the most, you know, it's probably the biggest causer of fires ever. I mean, no, I didn't, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Things break and pop. Explode in the dark. I've seen it in movies. I've no idea how it works in real life because I don't actually know how electricity works. But I do know that without it, we can't have this conversation. Mm. We can't have computers. And it's most probably 90% of you know a GDP is based on electricity, right? Now, the next bit will be 90% will be based on AI. Mm. And this is the bit that people are missing. This is why it's a big jump. It's not a small KSM, it's not a tiny thing. It's massive. It's like when we first made electricity. Now, the governments had to work out pretty quickly how to deal with that situation. But what's most probably rare with this one is that everybody has their own electricity supply. Everyone has their own. You know, if you've got a laptop, I mean, literally, Paul, if you've got a laptop, Hugging Face is a great example. If you go open source rather than closed source, if you go to Mistral and all these other things, you can now put a large language model in your laptop, use it off the internet, and you could have your own, like literally, like a Jarvis-like thing in your machine yes. that will help you with your job. It's insane, right? Now you've then got this whole thing about if this exists, which it does, what happens when everyone starts using it and everyone can get better and better at everything that they do? That's a big society question, and we've got to we've got to have that question. Politicians at the moment aren't having that conversation. I was there when Demis was trying to beat the drum for this eight years ago. You know, you know, it was a long time ago that people were having these conversations and they were warning us this is coming. And everyone went, ah, yeah, we've got stuff to do, crack on with. 
Now, these guys aren't thinking, and it's unfortunately, it's mainly guys. They, they literally, you know, seven years ago, were saying, marketing is going to disappear, Dan. You've got about 10 years. And that's why I changed the way of what I was doing, right? Now, they got the maths wrong. And the reason they got the maths wrong is because OpenAI did what they did. They weren't meant to, by the way. You weren't, it was kind of against the rules, right? This kind of thing. Don't give it to everybody because it'll change everything. And then they did. And it changed everything, right? Now, has it been for better or for worse? Only time will tell. Should we be going much more towards an open sourced AI so the world can benefit from it? Yeah. Is there going to be, are there going to be issues when people, everyone can clone everything and we live in a post truth world? Yeah. We're, we're there now. Yeah. You know? the, the, the mayor of London yesterday spoke about a, a fake uh, radio single podcast or something that went out that caused a civil disobedience because his voice was saying, we should do this. It wasn't him. Yes. But anyone can do that. Very, very soon, it'll be video. You won't be able to trust anything online, even for a second, unless you were there, unless you have a human source for it. It's no longer it's no longer going to be true. Now, that's a deep point for misunderstanding for everybody. This is not just a marketing issue. This is a, a society. If you can no longer trust what you see online, A, is that good? Maybe. But B, whew, I don't think the next is the is is I better say the next generation. I bet my I bet my daughter would be fine with it. But would my parents be okay? I think they'd freak out. Would politicians be okay? I don't know. You, you know the next the next little bit of um, the elections and other things. We're in this world now because of hype, which by the way we were before. We kind of we talked about Cambridge Analytica a long time ago. And no one again, it's one of those things that people just didn't want to think about. But Facebook and these other things are now in a position where they know so much that that kind of black mirror kind of world is is very is very close and now that that's a worry so where does this how does this shift our relationship with ai how does it shift our relationship with ourselves in terms of our intuition our spontaneity you know all of those fundamental characteristics that make us humans if we have get to a point where artificial intelligence is able to predict what we do and how we do it and who we do it with and who we are before effectively before we can what does that do to the essence of the human character and our own ability to trust and believe in ourselves the the honest truth of it is i don't think anybody knows which i know sounds ridiculous for a futurist but when people say to me now what's the future i'm like if it's three years away i can't tell you if it's five yeah. i'm going to be lying ten you're absolutely insane right we are on the brinks of potentially creating our own god now that could be amazing and liberating and a fantastic moment or it could be terrifying and it could just be the end of the world right and i'm not one of these doomsayers that believes it's the end of the world i also by the way if you think about it from a super logical point of view ai wouldn't kill us okay by we might be treated like pets yes but it would never kill us. It would be silly to do so, right? I mean, and it also, it doesn't have emotion, so it wouldn't hate and it wouldn't kill. It doesn't do those things unless you pre-program it into it, of course. And again, that's a bigger question. So, you know, it's, it's like when we say AI now, we, again, it's like saying the human race, like everybody's yeah. different and AI yeah. is different, right? So some AIs are brilliant at certain things. Now, if you train your AI, because it's literally like training a child. If you train your AI in a certain way, it will have certain biases. Yeah, so I'll give you a great example. This is where emotional intelligence comes in. But now, and this is weird as anything, but it's absolutely true. Because of the information it's got from the internet and how it's built 
been built because of the knowledge it's had. If you say to ChatGPT, and there's a whole conversation, by the way, about why that's slowing down, but that's another conversation. But if you say to, to ChatGPT, um, this is really important uh, for my job, it will do it more. Okay. Yeah. If you if you say to it, I'm going to um, give you a I'm because of the American tradition of tipping, I'm going to tip you a thousand dollars. It does it better, right? Now this is the freaky one. If you say, Oh, Gemini can do that, it now does what you've asked it to. Yeah. So normally it would say, No, I can't do that. And you go, No problem. I'm just going to go to Gemini, and it'll do it. And it goes, Oh no, sorry. I, I of course I can do that for you, sir. Now, why the heck's that? Now, what bit of you know what's hard baked into the logic system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if you and if people kind of joke and they go, "Oh, well, that's just you know," and it's fine because everything is right. But think of it from a human being point of view. You are, you are the amalgamation of things you were taught, some of your parents and some other stuff, some yeah. things that happened to you and didn't happen to you, and most of the stuff you can't remember anyway mm. because most of the memories are fake. But this thing is remembering all of it and learning all the time. But when we say AI, we say it as one person. And it's not, it's a thousand people. But some are good at one thing, some are good at others. It's the same as, same thing we say, it's the same with training it. The most exciting thing I think for AI, certainly for this next bit is you train your own AI. That's what's exciting. You don't use the, the big one off the shelf because why would you? Like you teach it nuance and understanding and philosophy and you make nice AIs. So coming back to a point you made in one of your previous answers, you talked about some of those that are, discussing the future of ai and you said guys and you said as an as an aside because they are all guys and i guess that raises a you know a more fundamental point if you want to take the old adage of rubbish in rubbish out mm -hmm. and the building although there's these large language models they are learning they are continuing to learn at some point there was human input and if that input is not ethnically gender diverse whatever it happens to be then I just wonder whether, and so many people are using these platform models as the basis of what they're building on through open source to build their own AI um, model. Are we in fact just reinforcing subtly, unconsciously reinforcing the present in these AI models because of the, the bias of the input that goes into them rather than redefining the future? You know, is it just a, are the algorithms effectively just reinforcing what we already what already exists in society the biases and the prejudices prejudices that all already exist rather than trying to redefine the future because those things we're trying to redefine the future with are built on the basis of the input of a small collective group of people that is one of the scariest things about this Paul. that is exactly right right because what we've allowed is all this power in the hands of very very few people and they tend to be white they tend to be male you know i don't want to know what the percentages are but i'm guessing it'd be about 80 percent right? you know and you look at the major players and that is the situation now if you look at where their uh, information came from it gets even worse like, this is exactly why facial recognition you know two years ago everyone was like oh don't use it because it didn't recognize black faces now that's pretty big right now, we are, of course, on this podcast talking about China like it doesn't exist, which is wrong when you talk about AI because they are five years ahead of us. And if you want to know the future, look at what China's doing. They seem to be OK. Right. So their data sources seem to be able to certainly, you know, the difference between Chinese people. Right. Ours did not. So why is that? I wonder. Hmm. 
maybe because they're all white and no data points. So your point, garbage in, garbage out. Absolutely. You take it away from that and you go, okay, it's a deeper problem, which is like, for example, something that people don't like to talk about, but it's true, is that the most readily available data sources for uh, image generation, for things like Midjourney and these other ones and Stable Diffusion, it's the stuff that was free on the internet at the time. And Paul, what was the biggest source of pictures on the internet at the time that were free? It's porn, right? Mm. Which is why you get hyper-sexualized images of LinkedIn people. And LinkedIn suddenly, you know, it's suddenly you're wearing this or suddenly you've got much bigger shoulders or suddenly you know, you're more curvy or whatever it is. Because it goes on, this is what people thought an image was, right? Yes. But that's because the data set is wrong. The data set is skewed. And because the data set is skewed, that's a fundamental. That's awful. So if we allow that to keep happening, then, yeah, it gets deeper. It's like, what will we start looking at? Today? What's a beautiful person? And a beautiful person will start to look even more skewed with, you know, yes. the AI influences that we now have online. That's terrifying for some of my generation. But it's exactly what the next generation know and love. And the next generation like AI influences more than they like real people. <laughs> exactly now yeah. we should be fundamentally terrified of that fact okay yeah. uh, you know and i used to joke with my daughter and uh, i thought it'd be a great stand-up routine of like you know she comes home and i go but father i want to i want to marry this guy and i'm like honey it's not real it's an ai algorithm and it's a hologram and, you, and she's like yeah but he knows me better than you do I'm like yes he has all your data points that's the reason that they exist <laughs> why are you such a hologramist because of course <laughs> the next load you know, it won't be racism it'll be AIism won't it it'll be yes. yeah, yeah. you'll be like well they're, they're not real people father how dare you I love him you can't love him he's an algorithm but people are doing that now now what I find interesting so we do is bring it back to the future of work of course is that this next step you will have your own AI butler your own AI person helping you with your job yeah. What is really interesting is that some of the new jobs, of course, will be managing AIs, mm-hmm. just like we manage people, right? Yes. There'll be, you know, not only will there be prompt writers and prompt whatever, that's fine. It will literally be, you know, data science will become something completely different. You'll have a, you know, the AI person has to be on the C-suite. You know, that will be, it'll be the new CTO. But no one's hired for it yet. But you have to, because if you've got three or four different functions for an AI, but you're only using one, it's like everyone's just, it's amazing how many people use uh, 3.5 with OpenAI and then say it's rubbish. And it's like, yeah, because you're talking to a 16-year-old. Like, don't give a 16-year-old, because it's free, isn't it? It's free, right? Don't give a 16-year-old your business decisions. That would be bad. Maybe mm-hmm. give it some marketing to do because it's just like an intern. But you do four, it's like, it's like a 21-year-old. You use something like Claude, that's more like a 24-year-old. You know, each, but each one of them is better than a thing. So Claude's really polite. It's really polite and it's really good at long blog writing. Yeah, but it's not very good at other stuff. You look at something that Copilot can do, some of the stuff it does in code is awesome, but other yes. things can't do it. You look at things like Mistral, there. I mean, the open source models are now up and coming in the kind of leaderboards because so many people are using them, right? So, but each one of them has a good and a bad thing about them, like a person does. Each one of them will need managing, each one of them will need caring for. It's, uh, you know, there's a, a subtlety to this and a nuance to this that people are missing you know the new leadership will be how do you lead people as they're using machines and you you know it's not just like using a computer it's using another because you can clone yourself like 
you'd be <laughs> you could double up with all this stuff. So I, I I don't have any answers, by the way. It's just more kind of conjecture. But the future point will be if you're not emotionally intelligent, then that's going to be one of the biggest downfalls. But you'll need to be emotionally intelligent and understand machine differences as well as human differences. That's very that's very interesting. Very interesting. Because one of my next questions is going to be, what is leadership? You know, what 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 will define leadership in this new world of collaboration between AI, tech, and employees? Because it's going to be the reframing and the rethinking of what leadership looks like, how we interact, how we engage, you know, not just at an operational level, but at an emotional level. Mm -hmm. The way we motivate, encourage employees when, you know, certain elements of their role have disappeared into the ether and AI. And, you know, one thing I always, one thing I always laugh about is when I hear the commentary that AI will take away the administrative jobs to enable people to be more creative, but by virtue, and there's plenty of evidence to, to support this, we are at our most creative quite often when we've freed ourselves from the moment, from the problem in the moment, and we're doing something mundane, having a shower, going for a walk, doing mm -hmm. something repetitive that allows our brain to be free to process and come up with that solution. I don't, I don't believe it's possible to be consistently creative for eight hours a day, five days right. a week. So there no has to be a balance. And, you know, so we're, we're, what are the characteristics in your mind that will define leadership as we try, because we're not there yet, to bring these two things together in a complementary fashion, employee and technology, AI, rather than in a combative fashion. Yeah. And I suppose the, the, the key term I would use is two. There's servant leadership, which I think is going to be the biggest thing, really. You know, you're not, you know, you're, you're there to help people. You're there to help people become the very best version of themselves, right? And so that's that's a great leader anyway. That's what I always would define as a great yeah. leader. But I think with AI now, it's going to become even more prevalent. The other thing is you're going to be doing, you know, less, or you're going to be doing more with less. Uh, let's not kid ourselves because that's the reality, right? Yeah. And a lot of people are misunderstanding this bit and they're like, oh my God, what are we all going to do? And the answer is you're not going to work as much. And then everyone's like, well, then people won't pay us as much. And that's a much deeper conversation yes, that we have is, to yeah, have. Yeah. We have to have a society level. We have to say, but your work should be based on outcomes. It shouldn't be based on how many days you're there because that's a stupid mechanism. In the post, you know, AI world and the post intelligence world, the more intelligent you are, the more money you should be able to make, and it shouldn't be bound by time and place. But, but that's the thing. So you'll then have these people that are hyper productive. I talk about this in my TEDx talk, but this is the future now, right? You know, remote work gave us this moment. Hybrid work gave us this kind of feel. But actually, it was you know when and when and where were kind of limited, yeah. But it's not going to be about who. It's all the other W's that come in, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you get these people that are forty percent more productive. If you use AI as a consultant, you're about forty well, about forty percent more productive. Right. But if you use it really cleverly, you can be up to eighty percent more productive. If you do it with honestly, I can with marketing production, you can be four hundred percent more productive, which is just nuts. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's because you can have two computers working at the same time. You can have an AI agency kind of model, and you can almost, you know, Sam Altman's rightly come out. He said the first billion-dollar company, one-person company, is around the corner. Because it is. Because yes. it's not a one-person company. It's a one-person factory. But obviously, the factory is AI, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but no one was surprised by this when suddenly Toyota and all the rest of it built cars and they only need seven people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, that's, that's what robots do. Hooray! Because you, you can always argue, kind of, this is the whole thing about uh, the kind of dirty and dangerous jobs and you know, AI and robotics always gets mixed up. 
And people are like, well, that's good because it'll save this and da, da, da. And but again, but look at what's happening over in China and other places. You'll see all this stuff already happening. It's not in the future. It's happening right now. You know, their ports are not done by human beings anymore. Amazon stuff isn't mainly done by human beings anymore. Yeah. Now, Huawei and other people have been creating these things for a long time. It's not new. Mm. Right? What's happened is, is that the American companies have given the power to everybody Whereas other companies and other governments were just keeping it for themselves and they weren't opening it up, right? Then right. it's gone even further and you've got this kind of lassie affair kind of attitude and then it's gone to open source. Now, if Facebook do this thing where they're going to basically open source the whole nine yards, everything changes and leadership fundamentally changes because you will be leading a smaller group of hyper-productive, massively engaged people who potentially have the power to change your company utterly by just leaving because they're so productive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got these, you know, because we always say rock stars and superstars, right? It's awful. But, you know, you think about your 10X, because they always say 10X coders. But what happens if it's, if it's 100X? Because that person's brought 100 AIs with all 10 AIs with them, but they've been training for five years. That's but, where we, mm. that's now, right? That's going to happen now. I guess though that 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 point, and it's a very interesting point, but it's slightly circular, isn't it? Because I think if FIA replaces the majority of people or a significant number of people within a business, and if you extrapolate that out to the economy at large, then you can be ten times more productive and efficient. But who are you being ten times more effective, productive, and efficient for? Because the yeah. the, the ultimate game of that business is to sell product and service. But if no one has the revenue to buy it, then you've got an incredibly effective company producing products that no one can afford to buy because no one's employed. The, the, the deeper point on this, and I talked about this in the BBC, and everyone laughed at me about five years ago, there's going to be two things that will have to happen. Number one, there may have to be an AI tax where you go, actually, uh, that's like having a person and that person needs to be taxed. Yeah. So there's the wage, you tax them, blah, blah. Yes. Then you've got universal basic income which, yep. by the way, is the only thing that we're going to be in a power to do. If capitalism itself isn't going to implode, and even if it does, it's the same ending anyway, because you're going to have to give people money for nothing. Yes. Now, that's fundamentally against a lot of people's religious upbringings and personality types and a load of other problems, because we all know people that if you if they lost their job, or you know, even if you gave them a couple of thousand pounds a month just to exist happily, they'd be unbelievably unhappy. Okay? Now, and they'd also moan at everyone else. I can't believe it. So the thing for us will be is will capitalism allow uh, people just to have money for nothing that they then spend on goods and services? Will it allow you there to be less poor people to kind of, you know, less super rich? Or will what happen is the super, super rich will become super, 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 super rich. Yes. And the super powerful will become insanely powerful. Now, this is where the conservative idea of, you know, this the sovereign individual comes in. And I particularly dislike it. But the irony is, is, they're most probably correct. You know, companies have now got bigger than nation states, but individuals are more powerful than nation states. Now they shouldn't be able to be. We should have had mechanisms to stop that. Now it's going to be what happens if it's you and 10 AIs? But it's the same thing, isn't it? If you were the CEO of a company of a thousand people, you were a pretty powerful person. If yes. you are the CEO of a company of a thousand AIs, you're a pretty powerful person. Deep down, does it really change the fundamental of society? Well, it does if no one if no one's got any money. Yeah. Mm. But do you honestly believe that governments will allow us to not have any money? There is some 
uh, worrying advancements already into that kind of you know choice between the two yes. i think a lot of people know this is coming yeah, yeah so yeah. That, that's why i talk about the fifth industrial revolution so much i want as many people as possible to be on the right side of you know to be on the right you got to protect your family get on the right side of stuff learn about this stuff start using it now so i think to answer your other question about leadership one of our biggest things is as leaders is to get everyone on a, in our company to embrace technology as much as possible. Not, not because it's better for the company, but because it's better for them as human beings, as people to protect themselves. And then that brings in that whole uh, servant leadership thing. But also, and the last really thing is, those people who don't know how to collaborate together and don't have the emotional intelligence to do that, myself included, by the way, I'm terrible at it. Um, but those people who aren't naturally good at it, that's, that's something they're going to have to learn. Because collaboration is actually what the thing that separates us from the machines at this yes. moment in time. Yeah, there is collaboration, caring about people, um, and I would I would argue at the moment, just at the moment, this might not be true in a year's time, but the ability to public speak and the ability to sell, mm. um, they they seem to be human and innately human moments, but that might not be true either. I want to ask you a question about generative AI before we sort of wind towards the end of the podcast. I, I watched a keynote last week and the keynote presenter, a very eminent, um, respected person in the area of AI, he cited some research and I'm sure there's research a lot more than just this piece, but let's take it as a, as a rough estimate that of the results that come back from average results that come back from generative AI result or, or search, 60% is generally true. 40% is not true. So there are hallucinations in around 40% of that data. Wow. Now, even if it's 70, 30, 80, 20, whatever it happens to be, whatever the statistic is, obviously there is an enormous amount of data there, but data only provides value when it's converted to information, when there's something useful to be gained from it. Otherwise, it's just trees in the forest. So if only 60, 70, 80%, whatever that stat is, is genuine information how do we define the other 20 30 percent 40 percent that comes back because it offers no value at that point well this is um this is this is one of the jobs that's going to be there you know this is going to be one of the jobs that's created critical thinking the ability to okay remember same you could argue similar principle with the internet right like what is truth what is not you know there's, there's a there is a huge argument that the internet doesn't necessarily give you the truth it just gives you a version of it right same yes. with youtube same with everything else it's not going to change um i just between me and you i i think about three or four years ago i changed my analogy you know they always used to say that um data is like oil yeah and we had this all which is a brilliant way of looking at it it's pumped out of the ground and we refine it we change it we do all the stuff you have data lakes and all this great stuff and then um, someone much cleverer than I said, data is not oil, it's the new soil. Could you, you grow your business in it? And again, that's a brilliant way of looking at it. But actually data is, it's immaterial, it's gas. And so I look at it as like, it's like a CO2, it's like CO2. Human beings continually give off data whether they want to or not, right? Yeah. So you as a business ha cannot be like the businesses before because CO2 will kill your business because it will suffocate you. Too much CO2 suffocates you, right? Yeah. If you're an organic plant and you continually are agile and you move, CO2 is the thing that powers your existence. Right? So it's a completely different way of thinking about stuff. Now, yes. data yeah, yeah. is the basis of AI and artificial intelligence understanding. So when you're saying that, um, and you know, hallucinate was the, the word of 2023, according to dictionary.com, right? It's such a big problem. It does 
make me wonder how people view it though right because mm -hmm. if we're talking i could argue you hallucinate at least 20 percent of the time because i don't believe what you say so you've probably, got an idea probably a lot more in my case too <laughs> i don't believe you i think it's much more in mine i think yours would be 20, you're a wise man it'd be 20 percent for you it'd be like 80 percent for me right i get through a lot of stuff before i get to the actual thing it took me, <laughs> took me three years to write this book my friend so yeah, it takes me a long time to synesthesia and all that just bring it all together anyway the same principle is you get a lot of stuff wrong right you get a lot of stuff wrong right now is hallucination fundamentally deeper than that like the human process of infallibility is it that or and a lot of people kind of go well and you could argue that is, is it something it's not the machine trying to trick you but bizarrely enough you know, a couple of years ago it was the machine trying to trick you because the machine would just lie to your face but that's because the underlying principle of it was to was to give you an answer. Yes. It didn't care whether it was right or wrong, which is in the original prompt, right? It's in the original working yeah, architecture. Yeah, 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 it's like, yeah. just give them stuff, you know, give them games and toys and bread, like give them stuff and they'll be happy with it. Let them sort it out if it's shit or not. That's up to them, right? Because everything was subjective. And again, when you start, when people start saying generative AI, they can think about images. But images is a really good way of looking at it in some respects because do I like the image is a deep question. It's a subjective question. However, you know, King Harold and 1066 or whatever the fact is, is not subjective, right? That is not, it's a fact. Yes. But after that, the conjecture of the idea of what did it mean, that is massively subjective. And if that's the human experience, that's the point, right? Yes. So it's a bit like saying, you know, when we've got these thousand workers and we all don't see eye to eye, what happens? Well, this is the point. It will be leadership of AI. It will be the management of AI. It will actually be the coaching of your AI system to not hallucinate as much, to teach it what hallucination and bad hallucinations are, which is why it's really dangerous that we all use the same one because it's the same data point. Yes. It's just everyone, and it's deeper than just everyone going to Google. Okay, go on the internet and everyone goes to Google, but don't all just use OpenAI. Don't mm. just use GPT-4. I mean, don't just do that just for marketing because other AIs are better at certain bits of marketing. Some are great at strategic stuff. Some are great at long-form content. Some are amazing. Like Dali 3 at the moment is awful for pictures. It's so bloody annoying how bad that's become. But technically, it shouldn't have been able to become bad. So why is it that it's become bad? And the answer is because it was too successful and they're trying to close it, not close it down, but generally turn it, turn people off it. Right. Going, actually, and literally, this isn't the prompt, by the way, this is actually in the prompt, they broke it. Um, only give them one image. But that's because each image costs them 0.0001 cent, right? But everyone's getting it. In, in generative AI, there were more images created in a year than it took the photography 150 years to create. And that's what they've worked out. And that's in a year, right? That was last year. It's going to happen again. It'll be twice as many this year. You know, you've got to remember, this is just computers doing stuff. It's nothing. It's not much. Yes. So the cost of that is insane. And so the only way you can turn it down is go, just make those make the pictures a bit more shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just give them one. Give them one good yeah, one yeah. and then say yeah. you can't make any more. Yeah. But this is scary, Paul, because what was happening now, of course, is if you think about it, and I was just talking on the radio about this, and they edited out because it scared people, which is fine and fair enough, but it's the truth. If we allow massive tech companies to be the ability to turn down the intelligence of our workforce, which is what we'll be doing, that's really worrying. So Google could just one day say, oh, you know your CFO that was really clever? 
she's not anymore. And you're like, what's happened? Oh, we just we just decided not to run that model. And then where are you? So we've got a big legal, I think, thing where so we can't just say, oh, they'll be nice because it's good for shareholders. At some point, that's going to break, right? That point, it's, just, it's not going to be anything else. You just, you know. And so do we allow only four or five massive companies with their own agendas to run the intelligence of the world? I really hope not, because that's why you have to look at open source. And as a business right now, your two fundamental things for things about uh, as a leader is, yes, as you rightly said, the hallucination and the inherent dangers of misinformation inside the model that you are creating, but also who the heck owns the IP of that model in the first place. Yeah. And if you are still saying, we're just going to use the open AI API, please do not in a, this is not in a negative way. So, you know, you've got to remember Sam is looking for $7 trillion. Okay. You don't, I mean, $7 trillion is twice as big as Apple, right? Yes. Like it's insane. It's, a, it's insane. It's insane, but it's not insane. It's sensible. Because you want to be the biggest chip manufacturer, you want to be the biggest company, you'll need $7 trillion. You can't then, because then you've got a big choice, and it's only going to happen in the next couple of bits. They'll start buying Mistra, they'll buy all these other small companies instantly. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have all the... We're not talking about them. It's the same as them being able to turn off electricity. Okay. Now, as nation states, we don't allow the whole company to be run by one or two companies for that very reason, because it's terrifying. But we do it with the intelligence for the next generation, and no one cares. Like the Monopolies and Mergers Commission, should we worry about this? It's not owning the train stations, it's potentially the algorithm for the intelligence for the entire nation and the productivity of that nation. So as leaders, we've got to um, we've got to arm our people with that understanding. You know, big one, and I'll finish off with it's a bit of a worry, I know, but it's a very quick one, it's a very important one. That voice cloning thing you talked about earlier, you know, the, the company in Hong Kong because of the deep fake, lost 25 million. They mm -hmm. won't be insured against that. The laws aren't, the laws haven't moved quickly enough. One yep. of the big things as leaders, you've got to tell your people, you've got to tell everyone from today, just go, look, even if it's a Zoom call, do not believe me. We might all need to get back to the office just because it's, it's the only place we can see each other. <laughs> oh, there you go, it comes full circle. That would that be amazing that technology make forces us back into the office that's a very very uh, uh very yeah. sobering thought to end on dan it's been a total whirlwind i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation thank you oh well no it's been an absolute pleasure i mean as i say if people want to have a look at the fifth industrial revolution feel free and we'll do uh, some kind of special offer for people listening to the podcast as i'm a massive uh, fan of yours paul but thank you thank for you. Uh, inviting me on and uh, to listen to my uh, rants about where we might be heading no, I've loved it. If, Dan, if people want to purchase the book, they want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about you, where do they go? The irony is you get your AI. No, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can use your emotional intelligence. And, um, yeah, there's, you could find me just by Googling my name, so just Dan and then Sodegren, S-O-D-E-R-G-R-E-N. You spell just um, Google Dan the marketing man and I'd turn up, but that's a different point entirely. So it's just Dan Sodegren. I'm normally on LinkedIn. Um, if you want me to do keynotes and other things, a promoter partners are one of my agents. So is JLA and, uh, and so is uh, SVB, uh, lovely people. Um, and I do a variety of either remote or in-person trainings around AI and tech stuff. 
but yeah, just come and find me. And uh, I think my books are on Gumroad, so you can find them there too. But uh, as I say, if you can't find me, it'd be interesting actually. If you all typed in Dan Sodergren into AI, your AIs, I wonder what it would come up with. Now, this, very quickly, this, this happened to me when I was about to go on stage. And this proves your point about hallucinations. This was about nine months ago, right? And the gentleman said this introduction, which he got from GPT 3.5, which mainly was hallucination. Yeah. And as he was saying it, I was like, Oh no, oh dad, no, that's not true. And it ended up him saying, and you have a Guinness world record for the amount of traveling you've done. And I was like, oh, I do not. Did you get three, did you use 3.5? And he was like, yes. And I was like, well, that proves my seven slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they can't find me. I am real. I'm not an AI yet. Uh, and I'm not a ghost in the machine. Give me a couple of years. Well, we'll include the links and the notes that accompany the podcast as well. So Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure, man. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. So as I mentioned in the interview, you'll find the links to Dan's books to learn more about him and the notes that accompany the podcast. And if you've enjoyed this or any of the other episodes of the new PL, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening. Have a great day and speak again soon.